Hello everybody, James here. Franchise University with Shane Douglas. There he is right now, the famous three fingers and the famous thumb as well. Right up. And this is Fan Question Part 2, quite frankly. We only do this once a month usually. We're doing it twice a month because there's so many questions. And if you want your question answered by Douglas, it's been a long <laughs> weekend, Shane. <laughs> Shane Douglas questions at gmail.com is where you write to. So we've got a quick Bunky hour for you of fan questions that we're going to get through, and here is the first one, Shane. Gary Thomas Jr., Red Wing, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. Hello, Shane and James. I just recently found your podcast. I'm absolutely loving it. I was a huge ECW fan. Thank you. I, I like to think I make this. Um, I was a huge ECW fan in the late 90s and tried to get all the pay-per-views here in Minnesota. I was listening to episode 7, and Shane, you were trying to remember one of the bookers or writers that was also a musician in WCW. I believe you are thinking of Bob Mould from the influential yes. Minnesota punk band Husker Do. Is that right? Correct. Yes, sir. That's it. Yes, sir. Bob was great. Why the hell was I saying Henry Rollins then, or did he also... Uh, him, uh, he, there was yeah some like loose connect. I think Paul knew him, uh, but yeah, but Bob Mould's definitely it. Sure is. There we go. Okay. So yeah, that wasn't that wasn't really a question, but I thought it'd be good to start off with it. So the first question proper is from Chad Kemp. With WrestleMania coming to Philly in 2024, I would expect a ceremony heavy on ECW talent. Based on all the podcasts I've heard with Shane, I'm 99.9% sure I know the answer. But if WWE calls, <laughs> would he accept an induction invitation? My other question is regarding talent inducted. But I'll save that for now. But one, would you yeah. take a Hall of Fame induction? The Well, it, it, it would depend. I've always said that the, the Dominic's not there and Koloff and some some of the giants that you know guys the shoulders that I stood on uh, that just is perplexing to me. Uh, now that it's not Vince McMahon saying oh, James, we're gonna pluck you and put you in there, and Keith will put you in there. Uh, I, I'd be curious to see what the process is. If the and I've always maintained, even in my absolute, you know, my my argument that I have no desire to go in, if it was turned over to the fans. Or if it was turned over to the the current inductees in the Hall of Fame, or a combination of that, I'd be honored to be in the Hall of Fame uh, because right now and up until this year, uh, I guess this year might be a little different. Uh, it's always been Vince McMahon sitting back and going, "I decree this person's in the Hall of Fame and that person's in the Hall of Fame." Uh, it, 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 I've mentioned it quite often, I think, because it's very striking, and you know, there, there are certain ways that you get these. Few and far between chances to look into the soul of somebody, right? And get really what they're thinking. And when I was there in 95, and how many times Vince would invoke ECW to me, but never using the letters ECW. Uh, it was always the Blood and Guts Company, the Small Pond, the Bingo Hall Company, and you know, the minor leagues, and all this other backhanded euphemisms uh, in it. So, uh, you know, they're, they're part due of, of ECW as much as that, that failed and should have. Uh, augmented the original ACW legacy. I've heard that uh, that e either Paul Heyman or Paul Heyman as the booker for ECW as a collective going in. Uh, I think it certainly deserves it. I think Paul certainly deserves it. Uh, but I, I feel that, you know, for my friends, and I've had this discussion with all of them, Sandman and, and Charlie, Scorpio, um, uh, Tommy, Franny, Hack, uh, Sabu, all of these guys, uh, where my mentality sits on this. My mentality sits that ECW was so strikingly different and had transformed the industry for that, that brief seven years that it's certainly worthy of more than a footnote in the Hall of Fame, that that deserves its own opportunity to stand there front and center. I also think that every one of those people I just mentioned uh, deserves to stand at that podium at some point in their in their career. So uh, I personally would not be part of an induction of ECW as like this sort of you know A slash B you know subset one down in the basement over here is ECW. Uh, I stand behind the product that, that company produced over the seven years and uh, in the way that it rocked wrestling and is still revered today because of it. Uh, that each of those entities, ECW included, Paul included, and all the other people I mentioned, their right to stand there and ex be accepted into that Hall of Fame as standalone. But until I, I, I think that even with that, if that is what TKO uh, Endeavor 
Dana White, uh, Emmanuel, whatever, if, if that's the way they're planning on doing it. I feel very strongly that it would be disrespectful to my trainer that gave me this career. You and I would have never met none of these fans would even know who the hell I am, if not for Dominic. Uh, and guys like Ivan Koloff, uh, and the, the guys that I really hold on high pedestals and respect the world out of because of what they accomplished, but also the way they carried themselves as, as human beings and men, uh, that it would be disrespectful for me to say, yeah, put me in there. I deserve to be there before the Pete Rose of wrestling and, you know, Ivan Koloff's prodigious contribution to the industry and slews of others. I really do have zero interest in it. And the reason being, uh, to me, that seems like more like a posthumous thing. Like, hey, he's been dead for 10 years. Let's put him in now. Uh, but I made so little of my career there. I was there for a cup of coffee when I was a kid breaking into the business to get some experience. I was there for a year and a half in a very uneventful, although there were plans to do other stuff, uh, about a year, about a year and a half, in 1991, and had to leave because of my dad. And then I went back in 95, and I go I often call it, and it still remains the, the worst six months of my entire 41-year career. So why would I want to sit in that Hall of Fame? These ain't my folks. Uh, you know, to me, I, I that dirty, grungy bingo hall with sewage coming out of it, if I had any building I could pick one throughout my entire career to have performed in front of it would have been that building, and that's the reason. Uh, so it's, it's no disrespect to anybody else that's in that Hall of Fame. Uh, if each of us gets to make our own decisions, we're, we're big boys and girls now. And if they decide that they would like to be in it, that's fine. But it, I mean, it would be like me suddenly going in as a Pittsburgh Steeler being put in the, the, uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hall of fame. Why you're a Steeler. <laughs> it's, it's because I might've driven through Tampa Bay at one time or something. Uh, it's, it just really is irrelevant to me. And until it becomes a real thing. You know, like the football, baseball, all these other sports, basketball, uh, golf. They all have their own actual real physical building that's a Hall of Fame. And East, and, and uh, uh, the WWE Hall of Fame is somehow this imaginary thing that nobody thinks of until this time of year. And then they forget about until next year. It's an aberration. It's 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 like the, the guy dying of thirst in the middle of the, of the desert. And you see the oasis that's just a mirage. It's not real. Uh, Chad Kemp also says, my question is to change up the process of actually, because Vince is gone, and there's a formula. Uh, he says the formula is, you know, a main eventer, a woman, a minority of, of some description, a tag team or stable. So he says, uh, to change up the process, what if they borrowed from the UFC formula, formula and inducted individual matches as well, like Savage and Steamboat, and Bret and Austin at WrestleMania 13 immediately jumped to mind. Thanks and keep up the amazing work. And P.S. Shane, I don't know if they ever reached out, but I know loads of fans would show up if you ever did Steel City Con in Monroeville. Thanks. Uh, great, great question and great epitaph to that. Uh, we have been working to contact... Uh, strange how small the world can be at times. Uh, I was Christmas shopping over the season, and I ran into a kid who I didn't remember, but when he told me his father's name, I had been friends with his dad. And and he rekindled my memory and saying, hey, I, you know, I was just a little boy, but my dad used to always tell us well, he knew you, and then you saw, he saw you somewhere, and you talked to him, and you, know, you had a nice conversation with him. <laughs> well, he asked the same question. Why have you never been at Steel City? Well, I had been there, but like 25 years ago. And uh, uh, and I said, well, I know that the guy that had previously owned it apparently had some, some hang-up on Shane Douglas being there, which is sort of strange being that I've represented Pittsburgh all those years. And uh, he had recently sold it. So we've been reaching out to the guy, uh, uh, Chris and I, uh, to make the contact and how he would like to pursue, uh, you know, uh, he, he had pulled this kid that he was interested in. This kid, I guess, talks with him. Everybody, Mike Headley is his name, uh, the kid, that he would he speaks to him on Facebook <clears throat> and said that he was interested. So we're in this, this period of like trying to get information to Chris to get sent to him and waiting for feedback. Uh, so hopefully soon. Uh, you know, Francine and I had never appeared there together. And it's been since 2005 that Franny and I appeared in Pittsburgh together. So I think the Steel City Con being a, you know, it's not just a wrestling convention, it's in, uh, a pop culture convention. Uh, the ECW was so strong in Pittsburgh that I think there'd be a lot of fans at Still City Con that would love to see us, and we'd love to see them. Uh, and, and and the other thing, James, that we're working on that you know about, uh, I think this would be a great place 
to, to hold something like that. Like one of the one of the parts of that because it's again the, the connection of ECW to Pittsburgh and ECW's legend winds through Pittsburgh and interlaces with Pittsburgh quite often. So uh, hopefully look forward to it, and, and if so, we'll see you there. And uh, to the question as well, putting in matches, I think is actually a very good idea. James Biggin asks, Shane, do you think fans getting a ton of things signed to sell online is making it difficult for true fans that want to get an autograph for themselves to keep? I have been a fan for over 30 years now, and I believe in getting autographs to keep. Uh, what the fans do, my, my experience in the fans or the people that come and want bulk stuff signed uh, are usually memorabilia store owners and things like that. Uh, but there have been a few. Uh, I remember in, in WCW, we were at the, it was the night, it was the weekend of the pay-per-view where Hogan refused to lay down for uh, Jared. And we were in like a rotunda area. I can't remember if it was in the hotel or in, in the building. And a guy came up. And, you know, we're signing for free because the company was paying us. And, you know, I signed the autograph, hand it back to him. I get another picture, same picture. I sign it, yeah, another one. Sign it, and I hand it back. And I see this guy's got a stack of pictures like this. And I said, do you think I'm going to sit here and sign every one of those for you? Seriously? And uh, so I, you know, I, I signed a few more, like five of them for him, I think it was. And the guy walks away. Four or five minutes later, a kid comes up. Hands me a picture, I sign it, and I notice immediately it's the same picture. And, and he hands me a second one, and I, I looked up and started looking around. And over here behind a pillar is the guy that I'd already thrown out of line, sending him back over. And I went over and embarrassed the hell out of him. I said, You send a kid over here to do your work like this. And I told him, Look, if you want to do this, and you come to me and you say, Yeah, hey, I have 100 pictures I'd like signed. Here's what I'll offer you, not just, Oh, hey, I'll just keep handing them to him as many as he'll sign. Uh, this is how we pay our bills. You know, this is how we. You know, we take care of our families. And so you'll find wrestlers will give you a pretty darn good price if you have, you know, a bulk of things to sell. Uh, in our case, getting a hold of Chris, you know, Moose, uh, through Shane Douglas booking at gmail.com, uh, not to be confused with questions. Que yeah, yeah. Questions. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, and you can get that stuff signed. It's rare that, that you see that, very rare. Most fans are excited to get a picture, get an autograph, and when you survived as long as we've survived you know we, we we've been part of people's lives for you know decades and it's uh uh it's incredibly humbling uh last summer ron simmons and i were heading someplace with chris and he and i've known each other since breaking into the business and you know we'd often talk about his mother and my mother and they were the exact same lady they weren't the same lady but they were the exact same lady same class same quality same loving people and he turned around and said, would your mother understand what we're doing today? And I said, what do you mean? He said, like, going to, getting paid to sign autographs. I said, oh, oh my God. So my mother would say, well, what do they want your autographs for? <laughs> you know, she, she'd be, like, perplexed by the whole thing. Uh, but it really is, a like, in getting to this point, it is a pleasure and a blessing to be able to go to conventions and meet fans that have watched you that long and, and watch their face light up and give it that, that you meant something to them in that respect. Uh it's a feeling I wish everybody out there could experience because it really is very humbling and very warming at the same time. Uh, and, and I guess the cap off to a, to a lot of hard work over a lot of years. And, you know, like when, when uh, fans will come up and they'll say stuff like, Hey, thank you for all you've done in wrestling. And, and to me, that sounds like, Hey, thank you for your service to the guys that are like protecting the country, the men and women protecting our country. And I don't quite put ourselves on anywhere near that same level, but, I've also been corrected by the fans as I'd said that many times in interviews earlier. And, uh, you know, in the overall scheme of what we do, it's not very important. We're not curing cancer, that kind of stuff. And I got reprimanded by several fans after that saying, don't sell yourself short. You've allowed me to forget this crappy part of my life or this crappy job that I have or the, you know, the spouse I want to strangle or whatever. Uh, and I guess in that sense, you know, we have brought a little bit of light to some people's uh, uh, living rooms, and and but you've also invited us into your living room. So I see that as a two-way street. And, I, and for everybody out there watching, thank you from the bottom of my heart because the kid that broke into wrestling could never have imagined that anybody would even want to hear what I'm saying today, let alone tuning into the numbers that you are. So appreciate it from everybody. I'll add to that as well because I've been to only like a couple of wrestling-related events where mm -hmm. i mean I, I not like appeared as in like now featuring james or whatever i've just sure. walked there and then people have stopped me and like shut my hand and said oh, and it's like really really humbling and you know i get some nice messages as well saying 
same as you. And I never actually say thank you very much for those, uh, you know, the ones I do read. I, over the three channels, I get so many comments, you just can't read them all. But occasionally yeah. I'll catch one and say, you know, hey, you've, you've helped me forget. Not me, but, you know, the people I sure. interview. Yeah. You know, you, you know, it's helped me uh, forget, you know, the death of a loved one. Or, as you say, even like I'm a trucker late at night and just these podcasts help me get through the day. Yes. And it's incredibly yeah, yeah. humbling. And it's great to think that, you know, because I actually do this a lot to my family as well. And I just say, I've got, because m- my wife has got a very important job. And... Mm-hmm. I get paid more than her. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's got a really important job, and but the thing is, is that I've got what I consider an incredibly frivolous job, but it's not yeah. because no. ent- entertainment's no. incredibly important in that same sort of vein. So I always sell myself short, and and I'm sure you're the same in that sense of, yeah. you know, we're not saving lives, we're not doctors, not policemen, you do that kind of thing. But it's sure. but it's 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 got its own value, absolutely. And there's millions of these podcasts out there on, on just any topic you can think of and that people take the time to find this one and listen to what this idiot has to say uh is you know it's it, it's incredible uh, you know it's uh it's it's i guess it's like the sort of like the epitaph to a career right you, you put this time in and you wonder throughout that entire career is anybody really paying attention you know like it's uh you know the, the way i presented the franchise character was meant to be the anti-hero, very much the anti-hero, the 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 you know the the uh, counterpoint and the vulgar counterpoint, and you know they're hopefully nudging some people saying like I don't want to be anything like that guy, uh, but the fact that I hear fans now coming up and saying I used to hate your guts, I want to Taz to break your neck, but as I got older I realized what you're doing and now you're my favorite wrestler. Uh, it, it's for us has been you, know, you hear actors say you know for those two hours I get to put my skin in somebody else's skin and become that person. And, you know, it, 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 and I've been able to do that for 41 years, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and I also don't want to pack the guy up and put him in the drawer for for a bit. Uh, uh, but it does, it allows me the two very different viewpoints on the world and approaches to things. Uh, and because I played this guy so long that I can see that, but that people are now getting it. I had one kid come up, and uh, at, at Legends of the Ring, uh, Franny and I were there. It was the first time we'd appeared together in years. And we had this line draped around the room and out in the hallway. And so, you know, I would sign first, or shoot sign first, hand it to me, and I'd sign. And I noticed, like, some kind of altercation or melee going on 15, 20 feet over this way, and which drew my attention. And I see people gathered around. Now I'm assuming somebody went down, like somebody had a heart attack or something. So I jump around the table to go out there and there's this kid just collapsed and he's shaking, trembling like a puppy dog. And uh, he said that as he approached, he got so nervous because he was getting an autograph for his friend, but he was a big fan as well. And when he first saw Francine, he started like just to losing it. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's very strange, right? I like in, in, in our take from it, uh, because I think we've been fairly accessible o- over all these years. Uh, you can come see us and, you know, a lot of like Franny has her eyes up here, podcasts and everything. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to, to inter- interject with us. But the fact that anybody wants to interject with us, <laughs> that wants to take the time out of their day to spend money to come and meet us and do this or do that is uh, is surreal. So it's a uh, uh, blessing every day. Who is... <laughs> Who's the worst at faking signatures? So, like a wrestler will fake a signature. So Greg Valentine. This is yeah. Greg Valentine. No, no, he's not him. But he told a story where you were sat last year now, and yeah. said he couldn't stop burying Brutus Beefcake for whatever reason in that interview. And he said he used to sign Hulk Hogan's name as well as his name on pictures of him and Hogan. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I was, you know, I always, you know, sort of kicked myself in the butt because, you know, I, you know. We, Somebody hands something has a bunch of signatures on it, and you're looking, you see Sabu's like an S and a squiggly line and like a thing, and Taz is like T and an A that's sort of an A and a Z thrown together. So it's basically like two squibbles, you know. And I, I'm gonna write the franchise. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna write a whole tome over here. And these guys are Taz, 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 Sabu, Sabu. I'm like, I, I need a rubber stamp. <laughs> no, it's good. All good. We'll move on. Dale Fortuna. Hey, Shane and James, 
one of the unfortunate themes I see as far as their post-wrestling career is how wrestlers are starting from scratch to either make a living or get themselves out of debt. Not to go into too much details between dollars and cents, but in the past, what had been offered as far as financial literacy and savings? How have you tried to make your money work for you? I'm all about people utilising and understanding how to save and feel that people just need to know where the resources are. So when you were in the business, what did you particularly invest in and did you get any education from other people? No, no education. The only education you would get would be like if, you know, say somebody you, you respect or somebody your friends with might say, hey, I got this great idea, great inside tip for this stock or something. I, and, and I mentioned this in a previous episode. Uh, when rookies go to the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, uh, they're given these financial literacy uh, and sometimes directed to specific people and everything because you take somebody that's you know, might have grown up in the projects or the, you know, the, the bad side of town. Uh, they have almost zero literacy when it comes to money. And so, you know, you suddenly lavish them with these, you know, some of these contracts, three, four, five, six, seven hundred million dollars. Well, there's a lot of wolves out there that, hey, James, hey, can let me, I get this great investment idea for you. Uh, you know, and there's an awful lot of that. And, you know, these kids a lot of times are, are not prepared so like the, the, the you know, common sense would tell you, I can't possibly do that, but it happens all the time. How many stories have you heard? Like, like you know, Michael Jackson included, right? You hear, made more money than God. And, and yet you hear these stories where he's, you know, one month away from bankruptcy and, and stuff. And, you know, you, 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 that's an empire. You're running an empire and you're having to trust that all this money you're putting out through all these different places, that everybody has your best interest with that money. And it's uh, I'm I'm a, a naturally cautious guy to begin with, and uh, you know it's really hard for me to just open up to somebody like all my things like finances and things and say okay well shit yeah, I'm ready to check here and send it over to you and be this and be that. Uh, I think our business should and again with you know, these are the types of things these type type of like unspoken things I talk about and I mean whatever I, when I say stuff like. You know, Vince brought the, the wrestling industry up into the 21st century and yet still just running it sort of like the olden days, like the 18 and 1900s, where, okay, here, we're just going to give you a whole boatload of money because we don't have to pay your taxes. You got to take care of all that. You got to take care of property taxes. You got to put aside for your retirement, all these things that literally to some of these guys are quantum physics. And, and I don't mean that in any kind of condescending way. Very few people, unless they're educated in the world of finance, understand those tiny nuances and, and, and things. And so it should be incumbent on our industry to, to at least maintain what the other major sports divisions do. And instead we've seen this constant pushback. Well, we don't have to do that because you're an independent contractor. And we've already talked about that. And for anybody that didn't hear that episode, go to the irs.gov and look up independent contractor and then go down the 21 or 22 criteria and see if you can even sort of force them to connect to things in professional wrestling. It's bogus. It never it never should have been, and how it's been allowed to go on, uh, somebody needs to tell me. Next question. Juan Under, Shane, what do you think of Vince Russo's recent video claiming AW talents call him and expose the fact that their booking is done a few hours before the show? That's something I've heard as well on and off camera, by the way. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, Paul, believe it or not, did quite a lot of his booking. Uh, not on his booking, maybe for this show tonight, but in, in his head, he had a good idea of where the angle had started and where he wanted to meander. Uh, in some ways, that can be a benefit because it makes you nimble. Uh, you know, with this, let's just take this past week, for example. If I've created, if I've written down this storyline five, six months ago that I'm going to put James in, uh, and now we get to this point of the storyline, boom, and move forward. And we've already know where we're going, except this week they've had this bombshell release of this of this lawsuit. Uh, so it would look really silly for us to just pretend that, that we're not existing in that world, uh, much like Iron Claw, right? No Chris in that movie. <laughs> no Chris. Um, but you, know, you have to be nimble enough to be able to incorporate and fold that in. And I wonder whether the company the size of WWE or uh, other large entities, how nimble they can be. Because you know, I've heard that Tony's doing all the booking himself. And it's if only it were that easy, you know, it's just to have the money and have some ideas. Every wrestling fan out there listening to this podcast right now has ideas. 
could you flesh that out to a six, 12, 18 month storyline and make it make sense? And in the middle of that, be nimble enough to fold in breaking news as it's going through. Uh, it's, it, 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 it takes a special breed of person to do that. It's exhausting. It's, it requires an immense amount of creativity. And it also requires an, an awful lot of being amenable to, okay, I've, I'm, I'm married to this storyline the way that I've written it, but this big thing happened or my the star of this angle was hurt in a car accident or a myriad of things that can go wrong. You've got to be nimble enough to move on that. And I think that was the benefit for places like ECW and it should be for AEW as well. Unfortunately, a guy like Tony who has zero experience in wrestling other than being a fan, uh, you can, it's like when you watch backyard wrestlers, right? They sort of approximate what professional wrestling does when done properly. Uh, but it's just a caricature of it. It's just the, 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 the over-exaggerations because it's it's just mimicking those things and augmenting them. But this, to be clear, those kids are not working a match, right? They're not out there calling a match or incorporating things as long as it moves on the storyline. Uh you know, it seems to me till now that Tony's been pretty immune to the idea of anybody helping him with that because he's got plenty of talented people in the back that could. And uh, this is where you see the advent of money. If you if you hit the Powerball for five, six, seven hundred million bucks, you too can own a wrestling company and do it however you want. Now, at the end of that, you're going to be out of money and hope you have to hope to hit the Powerball twice, or you can invest in property and put a product out there. Because again, as I've seen this podcast all the time and in other interviews, ultimately. All the rest of it's just bells, buzzers, and whistles. It's the in-ring product that's going to either make or break your, your company. And I, I, I would dare say right now that the AEW is having a problem with that. And it looks also as, as WWE maybe as well. Uh, they, they've just gone too far away from the formula. And they've forgotten what wrestling is supposed to be. And in their zeal to, I guess, cover their tracks, they come up with phrases like sports entertainment or not your daddy's wrestling or whatever. It's a, well, okay, but fans are watching this and fans like us, we want to tune in and watch somebody wrestling and telling that story. And, and to date, we have, haven't seen many people rearing their heads to, to, to provide that. So any investors out there, there's a great opportunity. It's funny you mention that because that's how Dutch booked in Puerto Rico, but he did have 25 years experience before he did, but he, he just make it up on the day. He didn't even think about it the rest of the week. But he, yeah. you know, I mean, that also takes a special sort of brain to do that as well. We'll, yes. we'll move on. Dave from Rhode Island says, to whom it may concern, Shane Douglas announced he was partnering with an anonymous investor, Bill Townsend, to form, well, not anonymous anymore, to form a new wrestling promotion, Classic Wrestling Revolution in Las Vegas. Douglas claimed CWR would be offering health insurance, revenue sharing, 401k and pension plans. I believe Roddy Piper was involved as a partner at some point as well. I'm curious if Shane could talk about his experience working with Townsend and why CWR seemed to fall off the radar. Just as you were saying, investors' time, perfect to invest in the business. But it's happened before so many times yeah. and and Tony also I think when he came in he was promising health plans and all that kind of thing and none of that's really materialized either so specifically uh, classic wrestling revolution well classic wrestling revolution was the the working name initially it became revolution sports after that and we had Bill Townsend had put together an amazing team uh uh former WWE officials uh a uh, human resources uh, expert uh, who passed away last year, Diana Ritchie. Um, uh, Glenn G.T. Tanner, a really prodigious uh, producer and director out of Hollywood. Cristo Garcia, uh, uh, Juan Puerta and Content Rules. I, the bones of this thing were, were coalescing and were being pulled together. I was extremely excited to the process, to the, to the, uh, the thought, that I'm going to get to work with these people on a daily basis because every one of them were so good at their job and knew it inside and out and were rabid to being involved in this product and this in this uh, opportunity. Uh, the the problem was uh, the only problem that we had was that in coming up with the finances, uh, as I've often talked about on this show and others, the uh, starting a wrestling promotion is incredibly expensive. Uh, you know, yeah, we could put on a show tonight for probably five, six, seven thousand bucks and probably a pretty good show. Uh, but to now go out and get the television to set up an office. I mean, as I recall, every time one of these things, because I was the CEO of that company, as one of these things would come across my desk and I start to dig into it, I'm looking at crazy numbers for phone systems, computers, travel, 
hotels. Everything was a huge number coming in. And, it, you know, when you start to, to look at it, it forced us to re uh, to refigure what we were planning on doing because unless we had some multi-billionaire coming in just ready to write a blank check, we would have to prove proof concept and prove that we could do this for the numbers of dollars that we were saying we could do them. And it wasn't cheap. I mean, it's 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 fairly inexpensive to run an independent show uh, comparatively. But when you start talking about all these other things and then health insurance for wrestlers, this to me was always the kick. Uh, it, it, it would flame your ass at the same time it'd make you laugh. Ask 99.9% of the population, last the general population, give me one word to describe professional wrestling and you're going to get what? Fake. It's fake. Right. So now try to go get insurance. You're you're putting the same kind of a class as a guy that's in a straight jacket with no parachute being dumped out of the plane, swallowing a sword at the same time. You've been going to Lloyd's it's, of London. I think that might be your problem there if you're trying to get insurance. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lloyd's <laughs> won't touch it anymore, trust me. But like the average the, the you know, the day-to-day in America, uh health insurance, which has become insanely crazy. Uh, numbers-wise, uh, cost-wise, as you're getting less and less for it. Most of the people, like you see this number, like 81 million are on, uh, on the Affordable Care Act. The vast majority of those people cannot use it because there's a huge deductible to begin with. And so the family that's really, especially today with the price of inflation, just trying to keep their nose above the waterline, okay, well, I have health insurance technically because I'm, 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 I'm punished by the IRS if I don't. I'm penalized. So I have this insurance sitting there, but I really can't use it. Because if I go to the emergency room because I broke my leg or blew my knee out, that's going to be a couple thousand dollar bill, probably six, seven thousand dollars. And my deductible's 5,200. Well, you know, so the average person really can't use it. So, yes, you have health insurance, congratulations, but you can't use it. Uh, you know, and, and so for us, this really became like a huge point. Because we uh, we felt very strongly, I should say, Bill Townsend felt very strongly when he brought the idea to me. And of course, my last forty years of my life uh, saw that why should this guy be penalized or this woman be penalized because she went out and he or he went out and busted his ass and got seriously injured and now can't work for six months. Well, well, you know, we'll see what we can throw your way. Um, it's it's uh, it's really sad to get the black eye on our business as great as our business can be, and as much money as our our business can generate. Uh, somehow these things that are I consider basic human rights uh, somehow get put off on well independent contractor. Why didn't you get yourself insurance? And you know now keep in mind you made say ten thousand dollars this week. Okay, so out of that ten thousand, you're gonna put about forty six hundred aside for taxes, and then you got to pay. Your mortgage, and you got to pay for the hotel rooms, and you got to pay for your rental car, and the gas, and your food, and all this other stuff. Not only for you on the road, but your family at home. And now you got to pay for this health insurance that you know you're going to have to put a boatload of money up to uh, on the deductible up front. It's uh, it really is a shame that our business because I, I we at that time and it, don't hold me to the numbers, but at the time the number that Vince McMahon was worth would have been less than one billion less. Now, you got to throw a billion around like it's a small number. But to a guy that's worth, say, $5 billion and then, and, you know, might be worth uh, $4.2 billion if he took care of his, of his talent, I, I asked the question, is being worth $4.2 billion any worse than worth $5 billion? You know, yeah, you're going to still eat steak and you're going to be able to make your mortgage payment and pay your electric bill. So, but there's the right and wrong of it, right? I, legally, we, we talked about the independent contracting point, but what about the mor- morality and what about the ethics of it? Uh, you know, which I think is a big portion of what we, you know, has been going on with the Me Too movement, right? These women have been being abused for years and now finally their voice being heard and there's a backlash to it. I think, and I suggested to, to some of the attorneys that were involved in that, that lawsuit, that they should go public and talk directly to the Charles Schwab's and Merrill Lynch's and these institutional investment uh, railroad retirement and say, do you realize you're putting money into a company that treats people like this? And that's where you would have changed that beast. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, what would I know? It's, uh, you know, we're, we're at a place where I think, you know, we're seeing now guaranteed contracts more of a thing 
but uh, that that's just again. It's, I, I, my guess is they're still being paid as independent contractors, and if not paid as employees, and so the, the average person out there that knows I'm not talking down to you, if you already understand this. Uh, the term employee is a legal term, as as is independent contractor, and and all the legalities that go with that. So once you say wrestler A, B, and C are my employees, that takes on a whole different world of of subsets of things that the Pandora's boxes that get opened. That said, we had worked very diligently on it. We were extremely close to finalizing, you know, dotting the final I's and crossing the final T's on it. It wasn't easy. But we were, we would have it there, and one final point because it was a I think in either your comment or the talent of this question uh, about you know AEW additionally saying they were going to you know offer the health insurance and uh, uh, you know several of the you know real time analytics and coaches uh, I'd ask the fans viewing out there right now where have you ever heard those phrases before AEW I heard them because I wrote them down and the business plan that was to be revolution sports. So <laughs> do the math. Yeah. But not happened yet. Yet. Yeah. But it's probably not going to happen. Anyway, we'll move <laughs> on. <laughs> Matt in St. Helens, England. Dear Shane, I was wondering if you know anyone that got caught in the steroids court case against Vince in the 80s or in the 90s. And what crazy stories did you hear from fellow wrestlers? And do you think the way smaller and cl- uh, clear wrestlers, I imagine clean, got a bigger push than they deserved. I don't quite know what he's asking there. But uh, do you know any of the wrestlers who were caught uh, in the st- uh, with the steroid testing in the WWF in the early 90s and anyone who testified for or against Vince in court? Uh, yeah, I probably knew all of them. I, 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 off the top of my head, I can't recall. I, I remember Hogan being tied to it. Um, but the... Uh, the steroids are still being used in our business. Uh, and you know, as, I'm a firm believer that you, as an adult, are responsible for you. Um, now, it doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want. You can't rob a bank. You can't murder somebody, rape somebody, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but when it comes to stuff like that, you know, it, it, that should really be the individuals and their doctors. Uh, uh, in my case, my body uh, didn't produce testosterone. So without it, I wouldn't be able to grow facial hair and whatever else. So I am prescribed a very small dosage of of testosterone because of that. And very low testosterone can lead to several other health issues that are far more dangerous than than, than using the the tiny amount that I do. Uh, But with with the steroids and the steroid trial, uh, this was gonna be an almost impossibility to be able to convict Vince on because we talked before about the, the layers that he puts between himself and everybody. Uh, Vince, a man is never going to walk into a room and say, James, I, I love your pal. I love your gimmick. I need to start some steroids to get bigger. He's never going to be done that way. It's going to be done in other ways. Like, oh, James, look at the point of some size. You look great. You know, that's fantastic. Keep it up. Uh, and that's sort of like the shot across the bow, like, Hey, idiot, get some, get some muscle on. Uh, the other part of this is it was so ubiquitous. It would be disingenuous for any wrestler in any major promotion ever to say, I was completely unaware, had no idea. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, because when I was in WWF in 1990, uh, there were, understand how that dressing room is set up. It's sort of like, you know, being at, you know, like a, a major concert, like when Kiss comes down, you're not just floating in and out of the backstage area. Uh, same thing with WWF. You're only in that backstage area if you have a pass. Uh, if you're one of the boys and, and belong there, you're working in the office. It's it's very much isolated away from, from the average fan for obvious reasons. Uh, there were, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, there were these nurses Nurse is the kind that you would see like in a adult magazine mm. uh, that were coming in with brown, big brown paper bags and giving this guy, giving her that guy, giving this guy. And it's like right when I first started working with him. So I thought, oh, am I supposed to get a bag? And they never brought a bag to me. And I'm like, you know, started wondering, like, why, why didn't I get a bag? Well, if you remember the name Dr. George Zaharian, yep. uh, he was the guy that got caught up in that file. 
and took the brunt of it. You know, lost his practice, lost they they through Rico laws, confiscated all of his businesses. Uh, he there was no way George Zaharian or his um, nurses were getting into that backstage area without the express knowledge of Vince McMahon and the people running that company, or they wouldn't have been there. Uh, but again, plausible deniability. I don't know if those independent contractors were in the dressing room. Uh, you know, and, and and it was a shame because there was this mindset that these are just as safe as aspirin, which they weren't. And you, know, you could argue a lot of the deaths that we've seen, that the sudden heart attacks and stuff, as young as these men were, uh, most likely directly attributable to that. And uh, But if I'm the guy sitting in the owner's ball, uh, booth and all this money's coming into this professional wrestling promotion and you Fans are talking about, do you see the size of that guy? Oh my God, look at him. He's huge. Uh, that's part of the attraction, right? You're coming. These are not normal guys you see walking down the street every day or in Walmart every day. These are like superhuman looking people. Uh, as long as I can say, I didn't know it. They're independent contractors. You know, Shane Douglas is responsible for Shane Douglas. Uh, wink, wink. Because if you don't put that size on, uh, then it's going to be either Shane Douglas is down here on the card or Shane Douglas is out the back door. Uh, it, 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 our industry needs a major overhaul. Uh, you know, most of us at the time that they were doing them, like, you know, I can speak for a lot of the guys uh, that had subsequently died from heart attacks and stuff, had very little clue as to the dangers of these drugs. To them, uh, Rick Rue was a perfect example. Extremely bright guy, and he could tell you, okay, here's how you want to do this cycle. For the first week, you're going to take three of these a day, and then on the fifth day, go down to two. Second week, this is what you're going to take. On the Wednesday of that second week, add this in. And, and you go through the ceiling, man, like he's a doctor prescribing drugs. But in the very next breath, he would say, of course, two cc's is better than one. And it was vicariously being four is better than two. And, you know, wrestlers had this, like, amazing way to separate these things. Like, okay, Taken like this, they're safe, but it's still safe taking four times as much or five times as much. You know, just, just be careful while you're doing it. And, you know, so incredibly intelligent in one hand and then incredibly naive in the very next breath. Uh, I remember uh, Todd Champion, not long before he died, within a year, year and a half before he died, uh, showing me in the dressing room these bottles and bottles and bottles of Anadrol. Anadrol were 50 milligram footballs that you took and they worked they, they would make you huge the problem is anything you ingest through here goes through your liver and kidneys and through your entire digestive system and that caused a lot of problems you know, kidney malfunction shutting down liver de uh, destruction of liver tissue renal tissue uh and you're you were supposed to take like two of those a week i think two or three a week he was taking five a day and when he told me, I was like, well, are you crazy, dude? Like, you can't do that. And, uh, well, a year, year and a half, two years later, he was dead of a heart attack at like 30 years old or 40 years old. So at some incredibly young age. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a big thing that needs cleaned up in our industry. And the steroid trial, uh, I think it showed the ineptness of the FBI and the DOJ and how they pursued that. Not assuming that, you know, again, the redheaded stepchildren of, of, of entertainment, right? Those those guys are over there. And so they they under uh, prepared, I think, for Vince. I think they thought this guy's going to be a knock in the park. And Vince is a very intelligent guy in many ways <laughs> and not so much in other ways, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, when he went in there, you know, Vince was going in there. He's fighting for his life. And these guys are going in there and just punch the time clock for the day. And, you know, it, it was they, they had to understand what that beast was before you can go and slay. It's like 10 headed, ten headed hydra. You can not too often three grow back. Right. But this is how Vince operates with these layers of protection that gives him layers of plausible deniability. Of course, Vince knew there would be no way Zaharian or his nurses would be in the dressing room area and knew exactly what you know. He may not know specifically what's in that particular bag, but he knows it's not. A sandwich, um, you know. So against the plausible deniability, it's a shame because many, many of my friends uh, that I should be able to have here right now with me and having fun with and have the beer with later on today have been in graves and have been in graves for a long time. 
when you were in the WWF, both 1991 and 1995, how did the drug testing work? Because uh, in 89, I think it was implemented, and I think when it all were 88, and, the, and probably Vince stood at the front and went, right, we're doing drug testing in six weeks. That's six weeks, everybody, we're going to be doing drug testing. And then yeah. if you do test positive, you're going to get a warning the first time. So, I mean, he gave them every out. But in 1991 and 95, how did they vary? How did they differ? Well, some of what you just said is correct. Other <clears throat> other parts of it aren't. Uh, they would announce sometimes there was a test coming. Other times you'd walk in and there'd be a sign, test today, drug test today, urine test yeah. today. I mean, I should say that this was in 89. I mean, they, they tightened up a bit over the years, obviously. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> how that would play out in real time. As soon as we'd walk in and see that sign within 15 minutes tops, I would have just about every big name wrestler in that dressing room come to me with a Visine bottle and say, <laughs> here, piss for me, piss for me. And then they would take that Visine bottle and they'd put it up in their crotch, which would keep it body temperature, right? Because they check the temperature. And you know, you're standing right there watching me take the piss test. I just reach in there and squeeze the bottle in. That's all you need. Good to go. Uh, I was typically the last guy taking the piss test most of those days because I had pissed for literally everybody else in the dressing room. So that was one way. The other way is uh, it's all done in-house. They say independently and all of that. But uh, Vince McMahon is going to give you $50 million a year of work. You're going to give Vince McMahon what he wants back, or he'll give that $50 million bucks to somebody else. So uh, hilarious. Like when you'd hear of people getting popped, for the drug test, it was underneath guys, enhancement guys, occasionally a mid-card guy here or there, not a single top guy in any of that time. You know, Alt Warrior always pissing clean, Hogan pissing clean, this guy pissing clean, Macho pissing clean, pissing clean, pissing clean. And I mean, you can take one look at them. And you, you know, if you've been around it, you certainly know what somebody on steroids looks like. Get the guy that works his ass off 25 hours a day. He doesn't look like that. Uh, he looks great, but he doesn't look like that. It gives a very unnatural, big, powerful, strong build, and depending on what you're taking. So the, the, I don't know. I've been full disclosure. It's been decades since I've taken drug tests in, in uh, WWF, WWE. My guess would be as I'm watching the product, the scan amounts that I do, the scan amount that I do watch it. I can tell you right now, I'd bet my life, this one is, that one isn't, this one is, uh, and I'd be right probably 99% of the time. So it must still be going on. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's even harder because you have these anti-aging clinics, you know, where they give you human growth hormone or whatever. And as long as you're under doctor's care, that, that suffices. So, you know, it's, it's much like uh, Lance Armstrong, right? If you go back and you look at his at his uh, urgings that he was not doing anything, uh, and then we come to find out he was well, technically he was using uh, EPO, erythropoietin, uh, which is a uh, derivative of red blood cells that allows your body to carry a lot more oxygen. And now you go back and listen. I just listened to one of, about a month ago. His his discussion now, his conversation now about this topic, it went juxtaposed to what he had used to say. He wasn't wrong in what he used to, what he used to say. He was just lying because he knew he was using an enhancement drug. But the, the words themselves became a lot easier to finagle between the lines. Listen to what he's saying now. If you get a chance, Google up uh, Lance Armstrong's recent comments and, and look at it. And I would dare say the same exact things going on, not just in WWE, but the WWE, most likely AEW. Um, uh, for certain, still the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the rest of it. There's just there's a lot more ways to trick it. And the final point is hey, this was popped in mind as I was talking. Yeah, I, there was the Visine bottle way, which was was one way. Another way would be put your own piss in there. But the morning of, you would take your fingers and dip them in Clorox, and then dip them in Clorox. Keep letting it dry. Keep letting it dry. And you take the test. You stick your fingers down in there, swirl around, and give it to them to throw the test off. So. Uh, and, and those are tricks like 30 years ago. I'm sure there's a lot more now and probably a lot better testing now. So uh, for any of the young talent out there uh, taking it, understand that these are very serious uh, uh, hormones. And 
it's like your car engine. You start putting on hormones in your body that your body doesn't need, your body will shut down natural progression of that, and you could conceivably turn yourself diabetic, cause a slew of other problems. Uh, you know, the ankle bone's connected to the shin bone. I mean, you start turning those screws in your engine, you could throw everything out of whack and almost make it impossible to get back to whatever normal is and, and being healthy. So please proceed cautiously. I'm going to answer, uh, ask you two more, and then we will shut down this podcast. And this is from True Lagoon. During your last WCW run, you modified your finisher from the Fisherman Buster to the Fisherman Suplex and finally settled on the franchiser. How come? <laughs> Great question. Uh, the, the the Fisherman Buster into the Fisherman Suplex was because most of these guys that I would be doing it to were bigger guys, and I was a thicker guy at the time. And hooking that fisherman buster in, you have to hook hands, underleg, overhead, hook hands. And when you come down, that would invariably be there was a knee right here. No matter how I turned, I would always get slammed in the face by the knee of the guy coming down. So that's why I turned it into the fisherman suplex. And then the franchiser was just because it, uh, it was trying to update and find uh, uh, newer things. and Just trying to add to your arsenal and put different things in. Uh, and there were a lot of the guys that you either couldn't do the fisherman suplex to because they were just too big, or I uh, didn't want to take it. And so I figured this gave this would give me an option of like belly to belly suplex, fisherman suplex, fisherman buster if it's with a smaller guy, uh, or the franchiser. And uh, uh, that was the reason for it. But great question. Was, okay, right. So I know you also did the Pittsburgh plunge, but that was the like a Samoan like fireman's carry thing off the. No, the fisherman. The, the Pittsburgh plunge was the uh, fisherman buster. Right. It okay. Was, just the the the, uh, the Pittsburgh plunge. Right. So and Pittsburgh plunge, by the way, is a ride in a water park in Pittsburgh <laughs> called the Pittsburgh plunge. <laughs> so what I stole it? What What do you call the one where you were like on the second rope and then you had him in the fireman's carry and did like a flip forward? That was you, wasn't well, it? For God's sake. No, <laughs> that wasn't. What, what's the uh, Samoan drop off the second rope, Chris? Uh, I was that was Samoan drop off. I'm pretty sure it does have a name. I, I, yeah, I thought, I thought that you had it in WCW briefly. Um, oh, never mind then. We're getting confused. Uh, so why did you give up the belly to belly? Just because it was too hard to do on the bigger guys as well? Well, the same thing with that. You, the, the belly to belly as was taught to me by Magnum. Yeah, excuse me. Was, he would always do it off the run. So if you were hitting the ropes out of those place, boom, hit this move. And and I can do that with a lot of guys. The, the Pillmans and, and the, you know, the quicker, faster guys. A guy like Taz would have been a little bit harder because lower center of gravity. Obviously, couldn't do it with Bam Bam, uh, you know, and the bigger guys. So it started becoming, you know, the the belly to belly suplex you could almost do on anybody. It's really a very easy bump and an easy move to take, but it has to be in a standing position. You know, to do the running one, or, you know, somebody in motion off the ropes takes very very tight timing and and trust on the part of the person taking it. So I, I would often catch a lot of those guys would slow down and they wouldn't quite throw into it. And I, it, it felt to me like I was talking down to somebody if I would come in and dress like James last night. You're going to do it like this, and you know, because then you get the like, who's he to tell me how to do this, right? Uh, so I, that's why I would move around, and I wanted an option of of and, and finishers that I could use depending on the person that was taking it. Last question: T says Shane. Well, I'm sure. Your friendship with Shawn Michaels means that you don't exactly consider him a buddy. I'm still curious as to your opinion on Paul Levesque as a person. From a distance, he seems like a good dude that had a passion for the business, but would like to get your perspective. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had far less uh, problem with, with Hunter. Um, Hunter seemed to me somebody that was uh, diligent and wanting to learn the business. Uh, he had When I went up there as Dean Douglas... He had come down to breakfast one morning. He had sketches of ideas that he had for robes and things for the dean. Uh, and, you know, I had less interaction with them. The problem was, is that when you put the five of them together, they would all feed off each other. You know, and, 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 you know, became very much a wolf pack, you know, like boomer. So if Sean doesn't like somebody or, Hunter, or a razor doesn't like somebody, that means we're we'll after all work to get them. And, you know, Noteworthy to say that two of those guys have since come to me and apologized and said it's sort of to put it behind us. I'm, I'm wrong. Three. Scott Hall did as well uh, before he passed. 
And and I'm glad he did because the guy I, I enjoyed being around Razor in when he was the diamond stud in WCW. He traveled with Johnny and I quite often. Uh, he, he in a lot of ways he's hilarious, you know, and he's fun to be around. But you know, when you're in a position where, like I mentioned earlier, the one converse in the one question, this is how we feed our family. And so, if you're doing things to undermine my ability to for instance, the, the day I showed you the right arm line, clothesline, second yeah, arm, you know, yeah. left arm line, uh, you know, the, the office is going to look at that and, you know, they're going to, you know, the click had the ear of the office. So they're going to say, well, let's put the heat on Shane, which is what uh, Tony Green and those guys would do. It didn't matter who screwed up in that match. If you were a click member, it was the other guy. And, uh, you know, I just, I found it completely unfair. I've always been a fair-minded guy. I want to treat it like everybody else gets treated. And I don't want treated less than or more than the next person. I'm, I'm willing to go along with the same rules as everybody else. And, uh, you know, so obviously I pushed hard back against that. And I think because of that click mentality, that wolf pack mentality, when I did start the fire back, they tried to create this unified front that it was, you know, Shane and whatever else. And now we have the advent, like the old saying, it goes, it all comes out in the wash. Uh, we've had, what, 30 years now of people that have gone there. And, and come out and you're hearing the almost identical story, you know, the same thing over and over and over again, just validating what those of us that said it earlier uh, said. So uh, I, I have never had personal direct heat with Hunter or X-Pac or Kevin Nash. Uh, it was just the, the other two. And like I said, Razor, better man, more of a man because he came to me and he apologized for what had happened and, and wanted to put it behind. And, uh, you know, today, like I said, that ball's in Sean's court, and it will remain in his court. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I just had to have this conversation with my youngest son recently over an incident in the football uh, uh, season where something happened that was, you know, a bit unfair to him. And I said, look, you just learn from it, you know, and turn it into, you know, use it as uh, to, to plug, you know, put a plug up your ass. It piss you off to, to react to it. Fight harder the next time. Don't rely on and, and I, I, I do believe that. I, I, I have so much more respect for the guy that will come up to me and say, Shane, I have a problem with you, and this is what it is. Let's sit down and talk about it then. You know, I'll tell you why I either said it, or if I was wrong, I'll be the first to fess up and say I was wrong. But uh, I, conversely, I loathe people. Hey, James, how are you doing? Let's, let's stick that knife in your back. If you don't like me, don't waste your time. I don't want to waste my time on people I don't like. Uh, if it's 150 years from now, that's that's a close enough for that grave. Uh, and I'm, I don't want to waste any time between now and 150 years from now. And to me, I consider it a vast waste of time to be talking to somebody uh, that's pretending or whatever. Just say your piece, and then Woolwalkers, I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. No, no harm, no foul. But uh, uh, like I said, that ball will be in Sean's court, and uh, you know, I've since put all that stuff behind me. I mean, it's. It, you know, otherwise, like I told you, the exact words I told my own son, it's only going to eat you up. It requires exponentially more energy. And I say this as somebody who's who's practiced this for quite a while. Uh, you use up an extraordinary amount of energy in hating people and harboring ill will toward people. As it does going through and just smiling and saying hello to somebody, wishing somebody a nice day. One day, one way, one of those ways makes your day better. And one of them makes your day worse. And so you have to ask yourself what damage is going to them anyway. To quote the travelling Wilburys, it's all right, remember to live and let live. Well, it's all right, the best you can do is forgive. I always like that line from that song, the end of the end of the yeah. line, travelling Wilburys. Uh, just before we shut this down, you mentioned Triple H. He wasn't Triple H, then he was Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Paul Levesque. Yeah. He sketched some ideas for robes for you. This is completely new yeah. information. Why was he doing that? Or just off his own yeah. back, he thought he'd just do it for you. No, I, I think initially there was this thought, I, I, in large part because of my history with Sean and uh, Kevin and uh, Scott, that when I came there, if you remember the, the story from Montreal, when I went to walk into the dressing room, they, no, no, you dress with us. Uh, and we'd get up and have breakfast and go to the gym. But at, at this early point, remember, I'm on the road very, very little. You know, it's it, I, it was like two, two and a half months, maybe three before the Dean went from that splash in, in Dayton, Ohio, or Akron, Ohio, onto Razor, to actually full-time on the road. There was a long span where the week, like every other weekend I was going to uh, Titan Towers and doing the uh, the vignettes and everything. They were 
taken the slow introduction to create this character. And it was during that time that Hunter brought those sketches down. Hmm, how funny. I just, that's just such a, like, a funny little tidbit that I had no idea of. On that note, we're going to thank you very much for watching. As I say, this was the fan question episode. We're going to be doing them once a month for the foreseeable. If you want your questions sending in, you've got to send it in yourself, I'm sorry. ShaneDouglasQuestions at gmail.com. And we'll get it in next time, hopefully, if it's good enough. But for now, Shane, take us out. Hey, love the questions. Keep them coming. Great stuff. Tune in next week and sit under the franchise learning tree. <laughs>